what we're learning is really engaging far more our middle management and putting them front and center on the effort and really engaging them around co-creation and innovation because what we're learning, especially in terms of the added benefit here and the impact is that managers now are bringing their ERG leaders and their DAT members to the table as an extension of their own leadership teams to start having these strategic conversations about, you know, what else can we do and how can we do this differently and better? And I think that what we need to do is really empower them more around that particular work and continue to invest more in them. It's always the notion that you want to develop your senior leadership. And so I feel that we need to shift that thinking and mindset and say, you know what, it's really at the middle management from a leadership perspective where we need to actually invest more. You need to empower, you need to make sure that your middle management folks are able to understand how to expand and build their EDI muscle, right? Equity, diversity, inclusion muscle, because that's where the power lies. And if we can do that successfully, I think that that will be then what will constitute the true cultural transformation that we're looking for as an employer of choice here. That's Andres Gonzalez, Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer of Freighter Health and Medical College of Wisconsin and a returning guest to our show. Andres is talking about why he and his organization engage and enroll middle managers as full partners of their employee networks. In this first half of this episode, Andres will share the techniques he uses to recruit even managers that may not initially be completely on board with employee networks. So let's get right to this episode of ERG Power Talk. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hello, Andres. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for returning to the show. So I'm going to jump right in with my first question. We're going to be talking about engaging and rolling and leveraging the managers of ERGs and BRGs right. as full partners, which, yeah. you know, I find that they tend to be the group that is sometimes not properly enrolled, maybe even yeah. ignored. So, you know, my first question to you is, why do you feel it's vital to make sure that the managers of ERG, BRG leaders are fully aware and engaged? It's a great question, uh, Joe. And what I will say is they are probably the backbone of the organization. Um, they oversee, right, and they manage most of our processes, most of our practices. They're the ones who are leading the, the bulk, right, the sheer uh, number of uh, staff members within the organization. And so I think to your point, we oftentimes talk about them as a frozen middle, uh, but, but it's all about uh, identifying them, right, as, as the issue versus engaging them, right, and having intentionality around the work. And I think that that's one of the, um, you know, challenges uh, or opportunities, actually more importantly, that we took on, especially when we were um, – 
looking at launching BRGs. And so we engaged them very thoughtfully. They co-created a number of efforts with us, including the BRG policy, right? And having some ownership in that process, having that buy-in was critical. And so as we rolled out things, guess what? I mean, they become your ambassadors, right? And so I think it's vital for managers, A, to be engaged, two, that you're thoughtful about helping them to connect the dots of why this work is important, uh, so then they're able to manage that appropriately, right, with their teams. And so, uh, you know, delineating that why and, you know, as, as part of that value proposition becomes important. So, so that's why I think this is extremely vital for managers uh, to be involved, um, in, you know, in the efforts and for us to be able to engage them intentionally and strategically um, in those processes and practices moving forward. That's excellent. You mentioned how you engaged them in the formation and development of policy. Say more yeah. about that. How did you guys do that? Yeah, so we have, you know, we, we put a, a little bit of a call to action to a number of managers throughout our system. We already have a number of them that have been ambassadors for either Project Search, you know, on our disability uh, front there to, to have interns. And they're actually has be, they have become really the spokespersons um, or the ambassadors for those efforts. And so we had already identified a number of folks. And then when we put the call to action, and we actually even engage uh, senior leadership around that, we talked about, you know, who can we really engage in this process? You know, and it was not only, right, your, your cheerleaders per se, but also some of the folks that uh, perhaps have been in the sidelines, right, in the periphery of the efforts. And I said, you know what, this is an opportunity to engage them authentically to engage them, right, and, and make them, right, champions, kind of taking the same engagement rationale for those folks who are, right, I mean, you know, they, they might not be your cheerleader, you know, your highly performers, uh, highly performing staff, but one of those, right, I mean, somewhere in the middle there. And so we took kind of that same approach or analogy to this effort uh, or in this particular effort, and we said, you know, how can we engage them authentically in this process? And we identified about 20 to 25 of those managers, and it was throughout, I mean, so it was a cross-functional management team uh, of the health network. So we had our ambulatory areas represented, we had our inpatient areas represented, we had our corporate areas represented, because certainly, right, there are nuances depending on where you're at, where you reside, and for us, it was important to understand that information, right, and that's where it becomes extremely valuable, because they have a good pulse, they understand that extremely well, and as you're then co-creating or crafting new policies, or you're looking at efforts, then they're able to weigh in, and so hopefully they can shape and, uh, and for you, you're going to end up with a great product um, or effort around that. So that was really the approach that we took uh, for the BRG policy. And really, as we um, looked at launching the BRGs as one of our key initiatives this past year. That's impressive. I mean, beyond just engaging them as the managers of the people who are BRG leaders, which is a good thing, and I think something right. that sometimes is missing in organizations, yeah. you guys took it one step beyond because you actually directly engaged them as co-creators and ambassadors right. uh, in your process, which I think that's a wonderful thing. So let's say, for example, now when you're getting a new BRG or ERG leader with a manager that hasn't been part of this process, how yeah. do you bring that manager in? Right. So what we do is rather than having our office do that, that's where these ambassadors become critical, right? So we're having those peer-to-peer -peer conversations. So we have a number of these managers, right, that actually are part of uh, our ambassadors uh, or speakers bureau, if you will, internally. So they're the ones who actually, you know, we ask them 
to either co-present with us or present by themselves at some of our leadership meetings around our health network and or having that one-on-one with a peer um, around, you know, the benefits, right, of allowing their staff to get engaged with the BRG. Some of the benefits, not only for that individual, but for them as a manager and ultimately for their teams, right? Um, and so, and I know we're going to get a little bit, you know, later on into some of those uh, key things, right, that, that have proven to be successful as part of this engagement. Um, but certainly those are the ways in which we are able to engage new managers, right? And, and so at the end of the day, what we have heard from new managers is, you know what, the fact that it didn't come necessarily from the DNI office, right? Um, it came from another peer and I was able to have, you know, an authentic conversation with them, right? and really ask some of the uh, tough questions or understand how this has actually worked, right? And, and especially, you know, we try to line them up. If you're a clinical manager, we try to actually find someone that lives in the clinical world, right? And, and if you're in the inpatient setting, that inpatient setting or outpatient. So we try to compare, right, and have someone that has that proximity, that has that understanding and can speak to those issues or questions um, or potential barriers that the manager is thinking, right, um, or will come up with. Uh, in terms of either allowing or, or not allowing um, their staff. And so what we have seen ultimately is that then as part of that conversation, then that new manager gains a greater appreciation and understanding for you know the benefits of letting the staff get involved with the BRGs um, and how it drives right greater engagement and you know the efforts that this person is really leading, right? The competencies that they're gaining as well and how that right is transferable to their own respective you know, department and function uh, for sure. And so that has become a proven, um, I think, practice for us. And, and part of how we're reaping those benefits, right, of having those ambassadors go out and have those conversations. Because I think it's, it's um, well-received um, from, from a peer rather than coming from the Office of Diversity. I mean, we're still, right, setting the tone and that expectation, uh, certainly. But we feel that those conversations organically um, are going to take place and, and where we need to go, right? Our litmus test is having and empowering the next level of leadership to be able to carry those messages forward and really tell the uh, business case, right? And the value of proposition to other peers around the organization. That's how we're going to actually, um, you know, fortunately here, we have been able to gain greater ambassadors and momentum and traction for the efforts. Yeah, that's a great strategy. So let me ask you this from your perspective, what do you think are the top questions that a manager has who doesn't know anything about what ERGs and BRGs do? And right. so somebody on their team puts their hand up. What are the top right. things that they want to know about what this involves and all this other stuff, how it benefits their team? Or That's what are right. some of those things? I think that some of the logical, right, or the frequently asked questions from a lot of new managers is, um, what's the uh, time required? Right. Because obviously that will have a direct impact on their ability, right? From their perspective, they're thinking, so, you know, they're not seeing the connection necessarily. So they're thinking, well, if they get involved, how many hours are we talking about? Right. Because they're starting to then, they want to start delineating, you know, how many hours then that individual will not be engaged, right. In their work, um, you know, in their particular team. Uh, so that's one of probably our number one question. Number two is what is it that the, you know, the, the BRGs, um, certainly provide, right, as a value proposition, not only for that member, but for their respective team and, and to the overall organization. That's, I think, it's a fair question uh, to ask, right? I mean, because if it's all about the fun foot and flags, then I would be the first one to say time out, right? I mean, that's not a good usage of their time, right, and skill sets 
I would be the first one to say, you know what, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you should be against, um, you know, your staff, right, getting involved in the effort. So that's, I think, it's the second uh, question. And I think that, thirdly, there's always the question around, um, you know, what's in it for, for me and for us. So there's a little bit of uh, always, uh, you know, that agenda of, you know, how will this, right, benefit me as a leader and benefit my member, right, my staff member and the team overall, right? Um, you know, and, and then I think that the fourth question that always comes up is, um, you know, will this be actually viewed as a satisfier for the rest of my team members, right, who might not be of the same affinity uh, to be involved, right? And so they're always trying to understand uh, whether there will be some tension around that and how to manage that. And certainly, you know, again, we have been very thoughtful about addressing that we actually have a frequently asked questions, um, you know, document. We have about 10 questions that are standard, again, that we provide to our ambassadors and to that new leader. So, you know, we, we have been, you know, kind of forecasting those key questions. And again, that was actually part of the work originally that our managers helped us to craft those frequently asked questions, right? Um, so it came from, the, you know, that stakeholder, um, you know, group. Um, certainly, um, I think that, um, you know, it becomes important, right, to be able to delineate that and to have those discussions uh, with them. So those have been, um, you know, some of the top questions, if you will, that individuals, and, you know, and I guess the last question is who pays for it, right? It's always that one of the key questions. So, you know, they're going, there, especially on the clinical side, right? So if you have a nurse who is involved, who is um, obviously at the bedside. So yeah, I, even if I am willing to allow my nurse to participate in the efforts, that means that then I have to bring in a floating nurse, right? Or someone else to cover that shift or that time, because clearly, right, we have to keep, uh, you know, providing care, uh, you know, 24 seven. And so those are things, uh, those would be kind of the four key questions that are always asked by our managers. And again, it's part of the frequently asked questions, but then we have, what we have said to our managers is don't stick to the, answers here talk about you know honestly how that has played out right in your areas and the benefits right that you're reaping as a result of that and that's where i think for many of our new managers they're having that aha moment of saying oh wow and so your staff what have higher engagement and higher belonging and and you know and they're actually obviously their their skill sets right are being enhanced and they're certainly bringing those transferable skill sets back to the area, right, and educating our staff on top of that. So as they talk about those things, um, you know, I think, it, you know, they're, they're winning them over as um, certainly allies in the process, right, and allowing their staff to get involved. So we have seen that that's actually probably a, a next-level practice to be rolled out, and not just for DNI, but for any other change management effort, right, or, or, or overall efforts that the organization uh, needs to actually um, – and, and engage in and, and, and certainly consider. You know, as you're talking, like questions are flooding my brain right yeah. now. <laughs> so many questions. But that's great. What I wanted to ask you about is that frequently asked questions or that fact document that you have. Yeah. Is that something that's shareable? Is that, because that sounds like something that is kind of a good, neat thing to have that I haven't heard from many other people that they have on hand. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll send you that. Uh, you know, we'll send you the frequently asked questions. This is actually part of that whole conversation within our diversity council when our CEO became really ultimately the executive champion for our BRG strategy and said, uh, and diversity action teams, by the way, for that matter as well, and said, hey, I want us to be thoughtful. Let's actually 
do it in this manner, right? Let's actually even have a cost center. So none, uh, you know, our non-exempt staff, right, are, are, are swift, you know, they're actually punching in and out for the time that they're spending in the BRG and it's hitting a cost center. So we know how much time, um, you know, who's involved, how much time they're actually devoting to the BRG efforts, how much the organization actually is investing uh, in our BRG strategy, right? And ultimately then we look at our metrics, right, that constitute success to see whether obviously there's an ROI for the organization. And so again, it is the, the one system and the one employer where I felt that we have actually built it in the right manner. Um, and certainly I think it's why we have been successful in terms of gaining that traction support from leadership, including middle management, of course, because of the engagement, right? How thoughtful we have been around engaging them and co-creating those, um, the framework and the solutions here for our uh, BRGs and then certainly you know, now uh, becoming ambassadors, ultimately becoming ambassadors. So, so it's really, um, you know, it's, it's been uh, great to work with a lot of our leaders around this particular effort. Yeah, that's pretty sophisticated. As we're talking about this, the other side of the coin is the benefit that the ERG, BRG leader gets out of having their manager so directly, not only involved, but informed and so forth. Talk a little bit yeah. about that. So, you know, so what we're seeing is that then, by the manager seeing, right, the growth in their staff member, right, how they're actually becoming strategic thinkers, right, and not just that particular competency, but other competencies, right, even their financial uh, understanding, right, how to read budgets, how to manage uh, efforts. So, again, all of those are transferable skill sets, and I think what our managers are saying is, you know what, we see those benefits, right? We see the growth. And so what we want to do is really then get others in, involved as well because that's actually a great professional development opportunity, right? Um, it's certainly also, I think for us, the other piece is a lot of managers now are understanding that then this is actually an individual that it's, right, has emerged as a leader. And so then what other stretch assignments, right, can I give them? as part of their own, right, functional area, right, or, or, or team responsibility here for them to actually lead or co-lead with others, right? So what we're seeing is that a lot of not only the leaders but members of our BRGs now are being asked by their one-ups to get involved in other cross-functional efforts within the organization, right? So because they're understanding that, you know what, this person is growing, is highly engaged, is actually developing those skill sets, and it's someone that actually wants to be challenged even at a greater level. And so I think that the leaders are seeing that and then they're seeing that then this individual, um, as a result of that, right, of that commitment and, and, and value-added approach here and recognition by their one-ups, then certainly, you know, it's giving us that discretionary right effort. So it's about higher engagement, it's about higher belonging, and certainly then willing to come back and educate their team members, right, and serve as a liaison for other efforts within the organization. So I think that, that those are some of the benefits that managers have actually shared with us about, you know, the benefits of allowing their staff to get involved and how then this is actually creating greater opportunities and impact within their teams. Yeah. And I would imagine, too, that if I were a BRG leader and my manager is that engaged and recognizes this effort in terms of the value it brings to the group, as well as the value it's bringing in terms of my own development, right. that's pretty powerful. That It is. It is. Absolutely. It is. And I think that that's ultimately where, you know, we have been, as we go out, right, and recalibrate every year, the uh, BRG agreement uh, with the one-ups, you know, it's been one of those that have said, are you kidding me? You know, let me sign off on that. Let me make sure, right? 
not only for that individual, but now we're seeing the uh, multiplier effect, right, of that, of saying, you know what, how can I get others involved, right, in the diversity action teams in BRGs, right? So what we're seeing is, is now a proliferation of that particular strategy, very highly localized, right, by managers saying, you know, yeah, I had one individual this past year. I want to get three or four other, right, emerging leaders involved in this efforts, right? And, and certainly you cannot get everyone in the same shift, right, especially in the clinical side or even the corporate side involved in the same BRG at all times. Uh, but certainly you can actually sprinkle that, right, those opportunities throughout your team. And so we have areas where you have, you know, some of their staff members who belong to the military veteran BRG or to the African-American BRG or to the LGBTQA BRG or one of our two diversity action teams. And so, again, it's, it's really that uh, those uh, synergistic opportunities that then uh, they're seeing, uh, you know, uh, coming back to their particular and, and respective team and how then this, you know, the staff and leaders now are getting involved, highly involved and connecting further dots and tell, you know, and, and how it's creating a higher performance, right? So it's really leading to higher performing teams and, and an overall culture within Freighter, which is something that we actually have strived for. So I think that that was one of those unintended consequences that we're starting to um, understand as an added value uh, as part of our approach and practice here. Yeah, and you know, it sounds also like rather than being something that you do initially when you are first recruiting someone in, so you inform this new manager that yeah. you'd like to have their uh, team member become a BRG, ERG leader, right. and you connect them with a peer, and you know, that, that entire wonderful full court press that yeah. really kind of engages and brings them in. It sounds like that's not sort of a one and done, but you continue to involve them. And right. so they stay in sync and they're part of the evolution. Is that is that a correct sense that I'm getting it is. What you're saying? It is, right. I mean, it's about the multiple touch points. You know, we have even gone as far of uh, as, um, you know, you know, celebrating, right? I mean, we're, we're a year in, in terms of our efforts. So for the strategic planning session that the BRGs and the DATs had, our CEO kicked off things, thanked them uh, for their volunteer work, right? I mean, how they're leading the way and modeling that behavior uh, and actions for the organization. She provided a little bit of her own uh, visioning and a little bit of a call to action to our BRGs and DATs. And then we had our VP of strategic planning who came in, provided an overview of our 2025 roadmap uh, so our strategic plan for this particular year. And then I came right after that and layer in the uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion elements of our strategic goals. And then they broke out in groups with their executive sponsors to kind of co-create, right, that framework where their business plans will be for this year. And I say all that to say, um, you know, Joe, that one of the things that we're going to do actually, and so, in a, you know, in the November, December timeframe, we're going to actually do a um, diversity champion breakfast or acknowledgement where the staff will be able to talk about, right, all of the great work that they've done how they have, you know, obviously the, the added value right and the impact that their BRG efforts have had within the organization. And so in the audience, we're going to have their managers. So again, it's another good reminder, right, and touch point with the managers, you know, and so we're going to actually thank them uh, as well. Our CEO will be there to thank them as well, right? Because what we have learned is that what gets rewarded gets repeated, right? And when you see that your top leadership is saying, this is critical, this is important, you're going to hear from the BRG leaders 
um, you know, all the great work that has gone on, what are those metrics that consistent success and impact, and they see that and they see the connection to their own respective teams, then certainly that's how you start, right? Um, you know, having that opportunity to get more ambassadors and converts of the efforts. So that's certainly something that we haven't been really good at in terms of pausing and celebrating our success. And so it's one of the, um, you know, ideas that our team generated, and actually Sherry Tran and Charlie Moore who kind of oversee our BRG strategy here from an ODHR and DNI perspective came up with, and I said, you know what, that's a great idea. Let's actually involve our BRG leaders and the DAT, DAT co-chairs to actually be thoughtful around that particular effort. So that's coming up. Actually, I just came from a meeting with our chairs of the DAT, and they were talking about, you know, how excited they are to be able to do this jointly with the BRGs, right? And so it's, it's important. It's important to be able to do that because to your point, you know, sometimes we do the one and done with managers or even with our BRG leaders. And so what we're learning is, no, this is about repetition. You got to actually continue to get them involved. You know, and part of this is to actually also encourage them to say, if you have other ideas of things that we should be thinking about or how to engage you further, right, or things that the uh, um, BRG leaders or DAT members should be uh, getting involved with, let us know. Because that's the power, right, of keeping them engaged um, and co-creating, right, and, and innovating for that matter. So that's really the way in which we are viewing this ongoing partnership, right, and relationship with our managers. That's amazing. I mean, just uh, it sounds very holistic and complete in so many ways that yeah. I have to ask you, what are some of the results? Give me an example of the results that you are enjoying as an organization from having that type of synergy and connection between the managers, the DAT, which stands for your diversity, action teams, the, the BRG leaders, and all the other parts of your organization. So some of them, I mean, I've mentioned so, right? So I will reiterate a couple of them. Number one is um, they're actually, right, not becoming a barrier, but they're becoming um, certainly supporters of their staff members, right, getting involved in the efforts. That's number one. Number two, it is they have become diversity champions of our efforts, right? And not just on the BRG strategy, but I'll give you a prime example. You know, we are actually leading a cultural transformation effort, which actually ties to one of our values of dignity and respect. Guess who's actually doing a lot of that heavy lifting for us and going around and educating other peers? It's our middle management, you know? And, and so again, you know, we're using kind of the same process and approach for everything that we're doing, and not just on the DNI space, but you know, even when we unveil our 2025 strategic plan, that was the same approach that our VP of strategic planning used and said, you know what, I want to engage our managers in the same way that you have done, right? Because we're recognizing that this is actually a great engagement um, you know, opportunity, and B, that it's actually the right one in terms of being able to get the traction and getting you know, uh, the uh, buy-in from middle management and staff, overall staff. And so that's another opportunity. So this champions now are going out and they're getting actually educated, not just on the BRG strategy in front, but in other efforts, right? So then it's actually helping them to then take back those messages and then uh, helping their staff to connect greater dots throughout the organization, right? For all of the other efforts that we are uh, certainly um, you know, being held accountable to deliver on. Um, and so I think that those are some of the tangible benefits that we're certainly uh, reaping the benefits on. And I think the last one uh, for sure is 
they're, I think, now understanding the impact. And so one of the things that we're asking our leaders is, can you tell us what are some of the transferable skill sets, right? And the uh, added benefit within your own respective areas that this BRG leader, right, uh, or DAT member has brought, right, or has been realized as a result of their engagement and the further development, right, or, or cross-functional efforts that they've been involved with, right, the stretch assignments. And so now that's the next level of those, you know, of quantifying, right, the impact and the ROI to the organization. You know, and again, it's, it's about engagement at all levels, right? It has to be not only a top-down, which I think it's what we oftentimes do, and we forget that there's also a bottoms-up approach, right, through the BRG and also through middle management. And I think that that's where you're going to be able to, uh, you know, to be able to thaw that middle, you know, frozen middle, if you will, right? So we've found ways of really engaging them authentically where they know that, you know what, my opinions count and they're valued, right? Because that's actually the value proposition for everyone. And we oftentimes forget about the middle management and they get unfortunately squeezed in the middle, right? As we oftentimes talk about. So there's a good way of preventing that from happening and really engaging them and co-creating with them and innovating with them about new solutions and strategies for the organization. Yeah, excellent. So if you had a crystal ball and you were looking into the future five years, let's say out, how do you see this developing? I think, I think for us is really, um, you know, again, continuing and maybe uh, being far more intentional around appending that pyramid, right? I mean, I think we're all highly hierarchical. And, you know, you certainly need, right? I mean, you always need that buy-in and, and setting the tone, the expectation by your senior leadership. But what we're learning, and I think what we want to do more, right, I mean, continue to use that booster strategies moving forward, is really engaging far more our middle management and putting them front and center, right, on the effort. And, um, and really engaging them around co-creation and innovation. And I think that that's the power that lies there. Because what we're learning, especially in terms of the added benefit here and the impact, is that managers now are bringing their, you know, ERG leaders, right, and their DAT members to the table as an extension of their own leadership teams to start, right, having this strategic conversations about, you know, what else can we do, right? And how can we do this differently and better, right? And how can we create those synergies? And I think that what we need to do is really empower them more around that particular work and continue to invest more in them. I think that, you know, there's always the notion that you want to develop your senior leadership. And reality is, you know what? Yeah, that's important. But many of us already you know, we wouldn't be where we're at if someone, right, had not spent the time in terms of sponsoring us and developing us, right? And so I feel that we need to shift that thinking and mindset and say, you know what, it's really at the middle management from a leadership perspective where we need to actually invest more. And then furthermore, to really then, you know, appending the whole pyramid and saying, you know, staff, and especially frontline staff, let's actually invest theirs because those are the folks, right, that really carry out our mission on a daily basis. So I think that that's really what we're learning here. And I think that that's going to be part of our differentiator here as a healthcare system and as an employer of choice in this region. And we continue to hear that that's something that people value about our overall culture at Freighter, which is why they either come from other systems or other industries. And even those that have left, oftentimes they're back within six months. Uh, and they will tell us, you know, I thought it was greener on the other side of the fence. And guess what? I learned that it wasn't such, right? Because you have to water it, right? And you and I have had those discussions. But, but it's fun. It's fun to be able um, to engage them, right? And, and to make sure that they're the ones who are coming up with, that, uh, with the innovative solutions. And so it's not a reliance on just the DNI function here, right? I mean, we're here 
to be a center of excellence and guide and coach and mentor people. But you want to also, I mean, I think our litmus test is you need to empower, you need to make sure that your, you know, your middle management folks are able to understand how to expand and build their DNA, you know, their equity, you know, their EDI muscle, right? Equity, diversity, and inclusion muscle, because that's where the power lies. And if we can do that successfully, I think that that will be then what will constitute the true cultural transformation that we're looking for as an employer of choice here. So that would be my, my uh, certainly, you know, uh, my wish and my aspiration here. And I think that that's where we're headed um, as a learning and development organization as well. Well said. So what's your parting advice to organizations that want to start engaging and rolling and leveraging the managers of their ERG, BRG leaders as full partners? I think that, um, you know, a couple of the lessons learned for us. Number one is uh, you probably already have an identified group of cheerleaders. I would say that's low-hanging fruit. Start there. But more importantly, and here's where I think uh, we have gone above and beyond that, is really identifying some of those folks who are on the sidelines, right, who haven't been involved. And I think um, converting that group, right, of, of shifting them to become champions is important. And I will go even a step further. One of the things intentionally that we did as well, and I think it's important, you want to have those people who also are highly critical of the efforts because I think that they provide a different perspective, right, and they challenge you differently uh, to think about your efforts and there's about two or three managers that they're certainly they, they're converts, uh, but you know they were originally folks who were not uh, necessarily embracing our strategy, right? And what I do with this particular group of leaders is always I ask them, right, play devil's advocate because I know that you bring that perspective and it's highly valued by us, right? And we recognize that. And so there's value of not only having right great cheerleaders and and supporters, right, that are like minded. No, you need folks who are going to challenge your processes, who are going to challenge your practices. And I think we oftentimes shy away, right, or treat them as outcasts. No, you need that, you know, honestly, um, perspective, right? It's about, um, you know, uh, that's where I think inclusion comes in, right, about different styles and, you know, and thought leadership that you need to have around the table. Because those are the folks that, believe it or not, Joe, were the ones who actually said, you know what, as we're having this discussion, here are the tough, the tough questions that we would ask you, you know, if we were not, right, if, if we're, we're going to be naysayers or we're going to play devil advocates, here are the, you know, the standard seven or, or 10 questions that any leader who's not either in the know or is going to actually become a barrier is going to ask you. And you better be prepared to answer those questions, right, uh, in a thoughtful manner and linking it back again to our mission, to our values, to the strategic goals. If we can do that, then now you're disarming us, right? And you're educating us to then at least move us into those, you know, into, into be at least, you know, into neutrality, uh, if you will. But over time, you win them over, right, as your champions. And I think that that's the litmus test for this particular effort. And so that has been part of our strategy um, for engaging uh, and, and seeking out, um, obviously, uh, thought leadership and different, right? I mean, and diverse perspectives in our middle management group to be able to then co-create the right solutions for our system. That's great parting advice. And on that, we're going to close. Andres, I want to thank you for joining us again. I know you're a returning guest of the program. And as always, you've given some great advice that I think everyone's going to get a lot of benefit out of. So thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much. As always, um, you know, we, we are thankful and appreciative of the partnership that we have with you and and all the great efforts that you continue to lead and inspire us on. So thank you for that. So let's stop and reflect on a few of the things we've learned from Andres today. 
One, get middle managers involved from the beginning of your employee network journey. Two, have them participate in developing policies. Three, if you already have policies, review them with these middle managers and give them the opportunity to help you to update them. Four, don't invite to the party only the middle managers that are supportive of your employee network efforts. Bring in the ones that are neutral and also the resistors. Five, address the concerns expressed by all of these managers, including the resistors. Six, let them know how membership in these networks by someone from their team benefits them and the company. Seven, invite them to events where their team members are being recognized for their work with the employee network. And finally, eight, remember, this is not a one-and-done effort. You've got to keep recruiting and engaging your middle managers. Now, at this point, some of you may be thinking, but what if my middle managers simply have zero motivation to engage or participate in any shape or form? When we come back, our panel will tell you why you just can't ignore these managers and the single most important thing that you need to do to get them fully motivated. All of this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Friedert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back. Let's meet our panel. From LinkedIn, a company founded in 2003 that now connects over 645 million professionals around the world, we have Rosanna Deruthi, Vice President, Head of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging. And from Clayco, a full-service turnkey real estate development, master planning, architecture, engineering, and construction firm with over $2.6 billion in revenue, we have Dan Lester, Senior Director of Field Diversity, Inclusion, and Culture. Thank you both for joining me today. So, Rosanna, my first question is going to go out to you, and it's tell me a little bit about yourself, your role, your organization, and the role that your ERGs are playing in that organization. Joe, our work as the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging team is to create an environment that not only attracts, develops, and retains diverse talent, but creates an environment where that diverse talent can thrive. And if we're doing our work well, we're also inspiring a community across tech where diverse talent feels it belongs. We've seen a lot spoken about the challenges that underrepresented groups and women face in the tech world. And we believe the tech world requires diversity in order to succeed over the long term and continue to, to create products and solutions that are valuable for the world. We have nine ERGs at LinkedIn. And our ERGs are still fairly young. Um, most originated in the last five years. Um, the work of the ERG, I think, is such core work. It gives voice to populations that are often underrepresented. They are organically motivated and inspired to make a difference for the world. But we've created a twist to the life of the ERG and ERG leaders in the last year by bringing a new governance model in that enables us to select leaders, emerging leaders, who are representative of these various groups, who are individuals who 
as they are creating platforms in their careers and relationships with leaders um, to be impactful for the business, they're also able to bring the voice of the ERGs to that effectiveness across the organization. And we think it's a really core way to build a diverse talent pipeline for future leadership to be able to identify individuals who are high performing and high potential to take on these leadership roles and to ensure that they represent a broad cross-section of our businesses so that we can maximize the engagement of employees across the business and we can ensure that not only the voice of underrepresented groups are present, but the voices of all of the business units that we have are present in conversations about how we develop talent, about how we create a connection to the community, about how we build relationships with managers and leaders to help them understand how to better leverage a diverse workforce and to create inclusion and belonging for the talent in that workforce, such that people unlock their discretionary talents and are motivated and inspired to perform at an even higher level. That's excellent. Thanks, Rosanna. Dan, the same question for you. Thanks, Joe, and good morning to you. My title as a director of field diversity, inclusion, and culture really kind of affords me with the opportunity to address our kind of our, our field talent, that kind of the forgotten uh, middle group that's really the glue of our industry and really working on trying to make sure that when they come on a Clayco job site, that they have something that's different um, and they're treated differently. We really focus on psychological safety, mental health awareness to really increase uh, the, the culture and the morale, uh, the training. Training, uh, what we call the trip, the training, the retention, the investment, and the promotion of individuals who come into the industry. Uh, we work to seek to identify those individuals and give them opportunities to be successful in the field. Um, and we also wait to make sure that the, the culture that they're in is, is conducive to that. And so that really requires us to really be more vigilant, to do some things that are outside the box. Um, with a construction company, um, it, it means that we have kind of two different Real, several different workplaces, but the major pieces are the office and the field. So we've got an office staff and we've got uh, several hundred graphic designers and project managers and accountants and all the people that really kind of are the, the, the back office folks. And then we have the field work. Um, and, and, and the field work is, uh, some of it's ours, but the majority of it are our subcontractors. So you really, those things that you cannot control. So we have to try to find ways to manage those cultures in the way that which we can and really try to make sure that when folks come on our projects as subcontractors, they adopt our, our philosophies and our, and our perspectives. And with that being the case, um, it makes having uh, resource groups a little bit more challenging uh, because, uh, we, because we're so, so far across the, uh, we, we're, we're a multi-market uh, company, so uh, our major markets are Chicago and St. Louis. We're headquartered in Chicago. St. Louis is where we started, um, and we have offices all over the country. So the majority of our projects are not in those centralized areas, so it really makes it difficult to really connect to individuals. But uh, we have been able to, and our employee resource groups are young, uh, much younger than the ones at LinkedIn. Um, we've, uh, we've got one that's, that's been established within the last uh, year and a half called Clayco Now, which is called Network of Women. Um, and that's, that, that was really kind of got rolling. And that's been a really awesome group to be able to see going. There is another group uh, that is emerging and that's been meeting kind of unofficially and looking to get kind of some official uh, perspective behind it. And we're working to get that growing 
and that's our C exchange, um, kind of our minority group that's really working to, again, exchange that information. But it's really important that we have those groups because employee resource groups really do help to revitalize individuals, especially with us being so um, spread out across the country. Um, we have to really find ways to be able to support one another, to be able to find ways to, number one, retain top-level talent, to be able to engage our talent, our emerging leaders. How do we do that? How do we identify those individuals? How are their managers being able to identify them? Um, and what's being going on? Is that information being shared backwards and forwards? So um, we're growing um, uh, with this process and trying to figure out kind of what works with the system that we have um, because it's such a, you know, it could be there. And one day you can be on a job for two years in California and then you can be in Texas for another two years. But the digital platforms have really allowed us to be able to um, gain some ground in those areas and really kind of find ways to connect across the country. Um, and working with our updated technology uh, is really kind of helping us to be able to really reach across the country and engage all aspects of our company and, and really get more of those groups involved and, and, and retained in, in our industry. That's excellent. Thank you, Dan. So our topic today is middle managers. And Rosanna, my question for you is, why is the engagement of middle managers so important to ERGs and all DNI efforts? I think for any organization, uh, people managers who are often known as the frontline managers and middle managers create the day-to-day -day experience of the workforce in any organization. They're responsible for the daily execution of the work to be done, the responsibilities associated with customer engagement, operational excellence and execution, um, the ability to attract the right talent on a daily basis, and ideally manage performers and provide the feedback that employees need. I think in the work of diversity and inclusion, however, we often overemphasize the buy-in that's necessary from leaders and executives and the energy and enthusiasm that's often brought by employees. And the expectation is that that enthusiasm and leadership buy-in are sufficient to transform the experiences that managers have in just trying to get their work done. And as we think about this work, it really isn't about just the tactics associated with diversity and inclusion. It's not unusual for managers to want the list of things that they can do that would tell them they've gotten the job done. But in reality, it's not a list of things to do. It's a way of being that enables holistic approaches to diversity and inclusion that become authentic for employees. It's relating to individuals, not just to groups. It's understanding how to determine the needs and create conversations with your teams that inspires that psychological safety that, that Dan speaks of and inspires a sense of trust. It's the ability to motivate individuals and ensure that they are taken care of so that they can perform in their roles. And 40, 50 years ago, it probably wasn't as complicated as it is today. But in an environment where you have people who maybe part of a dual career family, or maybe it's a single parent, or maybe it's a single individual with caregiving responsibilities for their own family members um, and, and potentially children. The workforce is so different today. Um, the entry of women, the, the entry of 
underrepresented populations um, that are Black, Latino, Asian in the workforce, different cultures at play. Managers now have the challenge of seeking to create productive teams that often come from very different backgrounds, possibly very different places, and may struggle with understanding how to motivate and inspire that. We've seen that a one-size-fits-all approach isn't likely to work very well because we're individuals who come with different experiences and perhaps different expectations and different ways of communicating. So the ability to really understand and create a compelling reason for managers to own diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and to understand what their role is in creating this experience from the onset when they are looking to hire an individual and they start thinking about who they want to bring on board, and they interview, um, they work with their recruiting teams uh, to assess the final slate that may, be, uh, that may form the talent they are going to make a determination to hire around, through the experience of onboarding for an individual, how that individual not only onboards to the role, but onboards to the team and the environment, through the development and coaching and performance management that ideally helps people rise from one level of performance to an even higher level of performance, and ultimately to how that talent grows to take on new roles and responsibilities in the organization. And managers are at the center of all those processes. They are like the common denominator for any organization around how that organization behaves on a day-to-day basis. So it's difficult, I think, for any organization to create diversity, inclusion, and belonging in any sustainable manner without fully understanding how to engage people managers and have them see that this, in fact, is the game changer in their performance. When I began my career, I used to talk a lot about the changing workforce. And recently I heard the news and read an article that indicated that the last year, the largest population entering the workforce were minority talent between the ages of 25 and 34, a trend that for many years has been talked about, but in the United States is now actually occurring, which means as a people manager, your ability to manage and inspire diverse talent is core to the role. Otherwise, you're not likely to be able to attract or retain the workforce you need to fulfill on on your obligations to the business. Thanks, Rosanna. Great points. Dan, I would imagine that in an organization like yours that's distributed and has employees in various job sites, that the role of those managers who are the face of your company is even more critical. Uh, that, that's a very, uh, very great question. I think we, 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 sh- we are really the industry is tasked with trying to find ways because when you are on a construction project, uh, that project manager, which is considered in the organization, a middle manager is the, that is the, that is virtually the, the boss. They run the day to day, the everyday operations. And then on the field management, it's your superintendent. Those two individuals, the superintendent really is responsible for the, the role of what happens on the project itself and making sure that 
whatever the specs were are going to get completed and the project manager is the one making sure that the directives are there and their support staff is there also. So they are extremely important in creating the culture of diversity or inclusion or whatever that culture may be uh, or even of negativity if it, it depends on who the individual is. So it goes by case to case and who's better than what and, and depending on uh, the nature of the owner um, and if the owner has decided that they wanted to put some level of goals on that project and in our industry um, it's not uncommon to see an owner who would place a uh, minority or woman, uh, woman-owned business goal on a project or create a, have a project where they have a request for minority or women individuals working in that capacity. And as Rosanna mentioned, if you have those types of things, and as more and more owners outside of the public sector are beginning to request this, they're really starting to, as the social narrative has changed um, over the last, I'd say really for us in the industry, it's probably been the last six to seven years, the narrative has shifted um, you know here locally in st. Louis we had that Ferguson uprising and that really shifted a lot of things from nationwide and really started to bring some things to light but that kind of only is uh, a kind of a byproduct of a larger challenge which is to make sure that individuals who that we invite on our projects or who we invite into our companies um, that we invited them by the way that they feel heard they feel understood they still respect they feel respected and they feel valued and how do you communicate that when you're in a when you're in an industry where the job is the boss, you know, you're really driving costs. You're really trying to make sure that you stay on budget safely, uh, make sure folks leave uh, the way they came. And, 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 and it's a very difficult task to manage. So it's extremely important for our managers to be trained. It's extremely important that they are able to um, have those conversations and create a culture where individuals are able to come to them and, and speak their minds and say what's going on so that we know, because a lot of things that happen is that uh, the, the field is oftentimes the forgotten piece because uh, nobody wants to deal with it. It's the, it's, the, it's the ugly part of the industry, but it really is the foundation of what we do. So our managers are the, are the life force of making sure that the culture that we wanted to create is implemented effectively, making sure um, that what we're trying to accomplish is created effectively. What we did was we created the field focus program and the field focus program uh, focuses on what I mentioned earlier, that trip, the training, the retention and the investment and the promotion. We've worked on getting gender neutral signage and not just saying men at work, but men and women at work because those individuals are represented on our sites. Um, we've worked on, you know, oftentimes you'll see there are uh, some things that we're calling culture indicators on projects and um, and it's not uncommon to see some negative things that might happen like graffiti and and um uh, porta potties or Johnny's or et cetera. And, and, and those things can be negative or positive. So what we try to do is make sure that we are finding ways to address those challenges and make sure that the culture indicators in our projects are relevant. But our managers are responsible for making sure they're doing those walkthroughs once a week. They're responsible for making sure that we have what's called toolbox talks. Toolbox talks are things that happen once a week. Um, uh, and they could be anything from safety conversations to uh, EEO conversations things that we want to have put out could be things about making sure that we're reminding folks how to lift safely or reminding them that it's coming cold weather and how to deal with those things uh, to make sure they're protecting themselves. But we do a lot of things with the psychological aspects of really making sure that people are psychologically safe. They have some mental health awareness so that they can be the best version of themselves when they're on that project. The managers are responsible for implementing that. If they can't implement that, then, it, you know, it really makes you going to have a larger um 
turnover rate on your job of individuals who don't want to be there. You're going to have a higher incidence rates of safety and OSHA recordable incidences, which again makes your insurance go up, which costs you money. And you're going to have just a low morale on your project. And if you have low morale on your project, uh, you, you're not going to make your schedule because people are not going to be working effectively. So our middle managers are the lifeblood and it's important that we continue to support them. And so while we do have that hierarchy, and as Rosanna said earlier, we do have the buy-in from up high, uh, but it really, the implementation into the middle is really the biggest challenge because we're spread out and and I can't be everywhere at every time. And, and so we've got to find ways to make sure that uh, individuals are trained um, and, and equipped with the tools they need to be able to to address the challenges that we face. Yep, absolutely. So Dan, I'm going to stay with you. And my next question for you is, so how do you get these middle managers involved in supporting and driving your ERGs? Well, the beauty of, it, of our company is our employee resource groups are started by our middle managers. I mean, we, we saw that group. We saw um, our network of women was started by individuals in our company who said that there's a challenge here. Um, and the ladies were seeing that there were some disparities. That group has been able to um, get some of the... Um, uh, the maternity policy shifted and kind of moved in the right direction. That group has been able to, again, I'm working with that group to work on that gender neutral signage and getting it approved for our sites. We're working on getting, um, there's standards on how many people you can have to have a female specific, um, restroom on the projects, but we're working to make sure that we're having that on as many projects as we possibly can. Again, um, you can't wait till somebody's there to do it. You really have to make sure that it's inviting ahead of time. So anyway, those groups that are led by our, our, our managers, um, the managers have the ability to do that they want to do. I mean, if our company has that, our, we, have our, we have that freedom. Our managers have that freedom, but in order to engage them, uh, they have to have the safety to know that it's okay to step out and do something uh, different and to bring different ideas. And because our mantra, if you will, is beyond these walls and we have a uh, kind of a culture that precipitates us doing more than just building. Uh, and it's what not only what we build, but it's what happens outside of what we build. Our managers are responsible for that. And how do we engage the communities in which we serve? And if we're saying that we're in inclusive company, if we're saying that diversity and inclusion is something that's the forward for us, our managers are the ones that are implementing that. And we've done a great job of really making sure that they feel empowered to be able to create the networks that they do. We put the funding in place and, you know, they, they, they put the marketing and the promotions out. We brought in speakers to get them in. And that was all kind of driven by our middle management. And our minority ERG is, is emerging as we speak. And those individuals are, again, putting life force and blood behind it. That's driven by our manager. So we've just empowered our folks to be able to do what they needed to do or kind of answer the questions that they need to answer, solve the problems that clients and, and, and that our owners, our, our owners expecting us to solve internally before we go outside. That's excellent, Dan. So you've actually got some managers that are pretty energized and activated, and you've basically given them the tools to go forward and to harness that power and leverage it. Rosanna, what about you? What are you guys doing over at LinkedIn to give your managers the tools that they need so that they can harness and leverage the power of your employees, support your DI initiatives, support ERGs? You know, today LinkedIn is a 15,000 person company and our managers play such a powerful role in continuing to grow our workforce. And much as uh, research has told us, uh, people leave their managers 
they stay because of their friends and leave because of their managers. And at LinkedIn, we work very hard to ensure that managers are the reason why people want to stay as well. So our managers are increasingly understanding um, through the work that we're doing and the conversations that we've created that for a company where talent is the number one operating priority, diversity, inclusion, and belonging is our number one priority at work. And what that looks like is recognizing the importance of having diverse teams because diverse teams win. The importance of having a workforce that reflects our member base and is able to create value for our customers because they bring that kind of differentiated understanding to the day-to-day work that's going on. And what's been very interesting is that managers have played different roles in the evolution of the ERG ecosystem. If we were to look at our women at LinkedIn, one of the things that we've been really proud of is that they've played such an important role in helping identify and helping us build some of the programs that we have to help develop women. And LinkedIn is now among tech industry leaders in women represented at the leadership level. Uh, We are now at 40% of our leaders um, who are women, and with that, continuing to inspire and attract the next generation of talent. So we have a lot of women who are now managers and leaders who have grown as a result of this recognition that we can be more effective in creating a more diverse workforce. But we continue to have work to do, uh, particularly when we look at underrepresented talent, whether it's uh, people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, uh, people with disabilities, and certainly being more inclusive of a workforce of people who have been veterans. And being able to recognize that our managers are increasingly understanding that their ability to be successful largely hinges on attracting the best talent. And talent is represented across all demographics, but opportunity isn't equally represented. And so the work that we're doing today is really how do we close that gap? Our managers are being developed uh, to understand the importance of cultural humility And what cultural humility looks like is this continuous learning and curiosity about different groups, um, people from different backgrounds, and recognizing that in that listening and in that learning, we actually become more effective and more, more capable of being able to create differentiated outcomes with others. And I think lastly, what's really interesting as we've uh, engaged in this work over the last year or so, we recognize that the manager has a really important partner in this endeavor. And I think often in the work of diversity and inclusion, this partner is the one that's most overlooked. And it's the role of the human resources business partner, who is the coach, the influencer for everything from the initial job description that's put together when an individual is going to be recruited to the conversations that teams are having at the table about their talent during talent calibrations and succession planning and talent reviews, and certainly in performance management. And we recognize that often organizations believe that because HR deals with talent and with people that they already have the cultural humility and capability to understand the implications of diversity and how to create inclusion. And we've taken a step back to recognize that in order for our managers to be successful, our HR business partners have to have a very strong foundation 
around diversity and inclusion and need to be able to understand how you operationalize cultural humility. How do you coach people managers um, in conversation, not after the fact? How do you provide um, the right kind of input when managers are thinking about who to hire such that they're not only looking at how are you hiring talent for the job itself, but how are you hiring talent to complement the whole of the team? And these conversations, because they feed each other, are becoming more integral to this understanding that diversity, inclusion, and belonging isn't one thing, and it's not the checklist of things that I talked about earlier, but it's really how everything integrates and comes together, how we're thinking about the development of a team, the skills that are necessary for the team, the experiences it's important for that team to share, how are we helping managers continue to level up in their own skills and in their own careers, by building a sense of cultural humility that enables them to be effective with people from different backgrounds? How do we ensure that we're attracting diverse talent and providing the ladder of opportunity to that talent in a manner that's consistent with our own vision as a company, which is a vision to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce? So invariably, our managers have come to understand that in order for LinkedIn to fulfill on that vision, we have to have a diverse workforce because it's not going to be possible to create economic opportunity for everyone if we don't understand the experiences and the obstacles that people face to opportunity. Those are all great points, Rosanna. And, you know, I especially like the way that you engage the uh, HR business partners in this process as well. And I agree with you that often they're left out of the equation, and they're actually a pretty important part of the equation when you consider the fact that offices of diversity and inclusion tend not to be that large, and therefore you need all the support and help you can get, especially when you've got a large base of managers. With regards to the managers themselves, what do you feel you do mostly in order to engage them? Is it to direct them and give them training and point them in the right direction? Or do you harness their energy so if they're already pursuing a particular direction to uh, find a way to harness that and to leverage it with your ERGs and with your other DNI efforts? Or is it a combination of both? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. And if I were to add one more thing to it, it would be the importance of engaging managers in their own Dibs journey, as we term it at LinkedIn. You know, diversity, inclusion, and belonging isn't something you can phone in. And it's something that really requires an authentic relationship to oneself. So building the self-awareness for each and every manager is an important part of the equation here. Because if you don't have keen self-awareness, it's very difficult to relate to how there may be factors, societal factors, certainly um, legislative factors even that may get in the way of an individual's experience to be themselves in life and at work. And, you know, we have this conversation with our managers often who, who sometimes struggle. There are managers who struggled around this concept of diversity. They're in agreement with it, but they don't fully understand what they can do and how it relates to them if they don't see themselves as a member of an underrepresented group. And what we do is we spend time helping them understand those moments when they felt like they may not have belonged. And I think that's a fairly universal 
um, experience. We all know what it feels like when you get to be your best self and you're enthusiastic and you're confident. And then there's that moment when you feel like you're a part of the team, but perhaps you don't feel like you belong on the team or you don't feel like you belong in the environment that you're in. And it may have been something that someone said. It may have been something that someone did, or it may have been that no one said anything, but no one welcomed you either. No one left you feeling valued and appreciated for what you were doing. And that's a really universal quality. And it's something that we bring to the work of diversity and inclusion because it's not enough to be represented because you're part of a demographic. And it isn't enough even to be included on a team. Ultimately, it's the experience of belonging that enables you to feel like you're a part of this and you own this. And so we try to create that for our managers as well and have them be present to what it's like when you don't feel you belong, such that they are actively creating the experience of belonging for each and every one of their employees, and they recognize the importance of bringing that into their day jobs every day. Yep, excellent. So, uh, Dan, I'm going to move over to you now. What do you think is missing in managers who are not motivated to passionately support these DNI efforts, these ERG efforts, and so forth? And what can you do to change that? What would you recommend? Kind of similar to what Rosanna mentioned, I think they're missing the relationship or the connection. Um, When you start talking about diversity and inclusion, resource groups, a lot of times those individuals feel like they're left out of the conversation. Um, And so um, because they don't see themselves, as Rosanna mentioned, represented in that space. And so because they don't see themselves represented, they don't always understand why it's important to them to be in that space. So a lot of times we have to really connect the relationship. And as our managers um, get the relationship, Relationship. And as they learn how to, um, and they deal with somebody who they realize is competent, whether uh, regardless of what their demographic or regardless of what their background may be, regardless of what school they went to, um, they realize those individuals can perform their work. They oftentimes begin to be more and more um, relevant. We've had an executive who, because of his relationship, matter of fact, our CEO, because of his relationship, um, he adopted a son and he was 11 years old. This young guy came into our our office when he was 11 years old looking to sweep the floors because he wanted to make money so that he could help support his mother and his brother. And um, young black kid just kind of knocked on the door and they saw that. And because he saw this young guy who was really trying to do something and he said, you know what, I'll give you a job. And that individual, um, his mother kind of at some point when he was in high school, kind of like just said, take him. You're doing a much better job with him. So he never officially adopted him. But that's what this gentleman would consider to be his father. And if you ask Todd Weaver, which is the gentleman's name, Todd Weaver is now the the largest um, African-American contractor in the state of Missouri. He is breaking records financially. But what that took was the relationship that our CEO saw when he realized that this young black individual had different challenges from his own. And once that relationship was realized, he realized that we have to do more. There's more that he could be doing. It became real to him because the relationship necessitated that he understand the reality. And because he cared about this young boy who he saw was working hard, who he saw he was giving opportunities to, but yet still was had some challenges because of factors beyond his control, he realized that there was more that he needed to do. So when relationship is in the place, that kind of changes your perspective on how you view something. When you have a 
relationship and you care about somebody and you see their challenges, you start to realize that, wow, you know, we've got to find other ways for them to be successful. It's not only about me. So engaging those middle management and getting them an opportunity to have a relationship and getting those diverse talent in the building really is going to help us do that. The relationships have necessitated the change and have really, it's, that's what's going to continue to necessitate change and create the opportunities and the environment to be successful in our endeavors. I couldn't agree more. I love that story you just told about Todd. I think it's a wonderful story. So Rosanna, why don't you bring us home on this in terms of what needs to be done to further engage middle managers in our diversity and inclusion and our ERG efforts? So everyone's involved here, and I think everyone plays an important role. Dan shared, I think, something that is entirely instrumental, and and certainly it's a core value for us. Relationships matter. And where relationships don't exist, there's often an expectation of something that that can't be created. So you have to create relationships with people who have not only been marginalized, but have the skills and abilities and may not even know that these opportunities fully exist. You have to create processes that enable managers to have a choice in the matter. And, you know, an example of that would be how are organizations creating diverse talent slates when they're recruiting talent? It's much easier to make a hire if you're hiring just the people you know versus being able to hire from a slate of qualified people where that diversity is going to be represented. But then you have to go the next step and make sure that you're creating a more personal connection between those managers and the diverse communities that they often aren't familiar with. You know, the, the, the example of, of Todd and his experience, I think, is a phenomenal example, which is one of when talented people are presented with opportunity, it's surprising what they're capable of. But if they're not connected to the people who have those opportunities, then it's unlikely they're going to realize that potential over time. So for our managers, as leaders, it's important to set the vision. Organizationally, and this is the work of human resources and talent acquisition and diversity, it's important to set clear processes along with those expectations to facilitate and enable relationships, uh, to attract the diverse talent and make sure that they're represented on the slates to encourage managers to participate in, in this space where they too have psychological safety. I think often the work of diversity may seem really oppositional, kind of the you're with us or you're against us model. The reality is we're all in this together. There is no other. There's just us in it together, creating new capabilities, new opportunities out of our willingness to continue to succeed and to do the right thing for our workforce, to do the right thing for our members, to do the right thing for our customers, and certainly to do the right thing for our our leaders and managers in the organization. And then lastly, I think it's really important that we consider how much the world has changed and how much it will continue to change. There are expectations that a new generation coming into the workforce has about not only how they're treated as individuals, but how their friends are treated as well. And all too frequently, while we still have um, processes in organizations that I think often run counter to diversity, one of those being the employee referral program. It's a wise process because 
we often hire a large, uh, a large percentage of talent from employee referrals. But often those employee referrals perpetuate the same representation in organizations that already exist. And managers have hard jobs. They're seeking to be productive as quickly as possible. And their model for that is I hire someone like me or I hire someone I know who's had the same experiences as I. We've got to be able to create the space and grace for managers to learn new ways of doing things and to not penalize them as they're learning. You know, whether it's thinking about how do we create, you know, a runway for them to bring new talent in and to create new ways of onboarding that talent because doing things the way we've always done it isn't likely to create great success in creating a diverse and inclusive environment. We have to change and we have to help managers to change and have processes that enable the new success that we anticipate with, with a, a diverse workforce. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And on that note, we are going to come to an end. I want to thank Rosanna and thank Dan for joining me today in having this conversation, which I think many of our listeners are really going to find insightful. So thank you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Joe. So here's what I got out of our panel today. If you don't have managers that are motivated and engaged in terms of your DNI efforts and your ERG efforts, there are a number of things that you as an organization can do. But in the end, it all boils down to creating, nurturing, and developing relationships across all demographics. It's relationships that fuel and motivate caring and involvement. This is the last episode of ERG Power Talk Season 1. Look for Season 2 coming to you in spring of 2020. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.